Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to another episode of On the Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dotson Adibayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Lars Watson. On this World Cup, ish edition of the pod the european champions failed to qualify for the world cup is this the end for mancini's roman empire also with nigeria not qualifying either i'm sorry folks but you knew i had to get to that who then are the favorites to win the flipping thing the world <laughs> cup that is and as luck would have it sweden didn't they qualify neither so we've got the world's expert on zlatan on the show to remind us to never say never in what must surely be the end of his world cup journey so, Andy, as you know, there's been a lot said about Italy not qualifying for this World Cup, not least on the ramble. Uh, Kenzie on Instagram has gotten in touch with us and he says, with Italy now out of the World Cup, can we hope to see some more minutes given to Italian youngsters? Well, Kenzie, I don't think they've got an option. Um, Mancini, if we go back to the beginning when he named his first Italy squad for a training camp and it was a huge Italy squad of, what, 35 players? The idea was to get a look at players and, and, and the next best. Now, this was pre-Nicola Zaniolo injuries and um, before he'd played a first-team game for, for, for Roma, he was in Mancini's first Italy squad. So this would be very much in keeping with what he likes to do. Now, of course, the pointless friendly against Turkey, well, I don't know, was it a friendly? Was it a third-place match? It wasn't entirely pointless because it... Um, the Italian FA millions of euros, <laughs> even if it probably felt awful for their players to be playing in that game in Konya. Um, so all it really served to underline is that maybe Giacomo Raspadori should have played more minutes in the game against North Macedonia. So I don't think it really put pressure on Mancini, but it did... It, it it definitely made people look at what happened again against North Macedonia, which was you know never going to not be the case anyway, because they had what six seven times as many chances as the North Macedonians, uh, didn't put them any of them away, got sucker punched in the last minute, and it was feeding in to the problem they had going back to the Euros to the problem they had throughout the World Cup qualifying campaign in which they were unbeaten but only won four of the eight games. It's putting the ball in the back of the net. It's finding that centre forward. And of course, Roberto Mancini's mum has been on Italian radio this week saying, well, he should have picked Balotelli. <laughs> Which is, is, is not ideal, but maybe um, La Vecchia Senora has, has a point there. Um, hmm. I, I mean, I think it's there's, there's a certain irony in the fact that Turkey, um, Italy ended up licking their wounds back in Turkey, as James Horncastle pointed out in his article this week in The Athletic, when Balotelli never left Turkey in the first place and maybe could have been helping them. But the feeling, Lars, on them not qualifying for 2022 is very different from the feeling and dynamic they had after not qualifying for 2018. 
Yeah, I feel like the Balotelli thing needs to be knocked on the head. Like, I mean, the, the, you, people he gets spoken about as if he's having like an amazing season in Turkey. Mm. Like, he scored one goal more than Stefan Okaka, and and there's been no great sort of Okaka for for the Azuri goal. I mean, he's got one more goal than Brett Asambolonga. They let stop one more here. goal than Mambiram <laughs> Diouf. Like, I mean, this is not some sort of barnstorming. Uh, Balotelli was running. Balotelli's running away with the Super League thing, but but I can understand, obviously. This was a disaster that was kind of long in coming, and you know, obviously, perceptive as always. Nicky Bandini was was completely right last week to be slightly worried uh, because they didn't just lose it here; they, they lost it against Bulgaria in the group stage when they drew for absolutely no reason in a game they had against so so many chances. When they drew two games against Switzerland, in which they both missed a penalty, when they couldn't go away to Northern Ireland and get a win, like, this is a difficult place to go. But in terms of the quality of the players on the pitch, you know, you should you yeah. should win that game. So, on the one hand, I'm always wary of we tend to take international football and then extrapolate like what is a really tiny sample size and into like you know because they've lost this game against North Macedonia there now needs to be a root and branch review and sort of everything is wrong with Italian football and everything needs to be changed which I'm I'm a little bit skeptical of you know I, I don't think you know at the Super Eagles because they went out on away please, goals against please. Ghana I don't think that means everything he's, to do he's with come Nigeria here to football. hide from that <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's no need to, to stick it into um, a man when he's down and eating his jollof rice. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is a very, very good football team that just happens to not have a very, very good striker. And uh, in the Euros, it was fine because you get goals from other sources. You know, but here Chiesa is not there. Insigne is not having a great time at the moment. You know, Berardi is still, you know, Berardi. So it's it's you're not really getting. Well, he's he's not a centre forward either, is no. he? Yeah. I, I just wonder actually. Um, before before you drop in, Dotton, you know how we'll, we'll kind of maybe come to Germany and Kai Havertz later mm. and how he might be the number nine. Who knows? Maybe he'll be the number nine for Chelsea going forward if they, they, they can't fix things with Lukaku. Is there an outside bet at Zaniolo becoming a centre forward? I mean, if you look at... It would be interesting. If you look at the size of him now, yeah. I mean, he's twice the man that he used to be you know he's, after those uh, two successive knee injuries he, he spent spends a lot so of that time in the, in the weight room yeah <laughs> yeah there's there's no doubt about it i wonder if there's hinge i wonder if there's, the a, there's, there's there's a possibility for him to turn into that player maybe. because well, one of the biggest concerns we talked about it before you know maybe he can't accelerate like he used to but maybe when a player has serious injury you know i think you can look at say alan shearer in the past for example okay it's, it's different but he turned into a kind of turbo mark hughes didn't he in the second part of his career after he after he muscled up yeah that, that's that's entirely possible it could be that uh, that there's more to come from skamaka in the sort of large man yeah. the, uh, i'm on board with that yeah yeah maybe something like yeah. this um it's not, it's not a bad shout saying that maybe Raspadori should have played, I don't know, but y- you can look at that individual game against North Macedonia and say, I, I feel like Skamaka should have been on there because he needed a tall man in, in, in the area since you were pushing them back. But my point is that they were in a slightly tricky group anyway, like Switzerland are no mugs and, and they they played well, but they just, you know, they didn't score the goals. And uh, I'm not sure we necessarily need to sort of... Um, Dismantle everything. Because there's such there's oh, it's a big story for Italy to miss out on the World Cup and it's gonna be a huge and emotional reaction to that. And we've already seen the head of the FA say, you know, oh it's very bad because there are no young Italian players playing, so it's difficult for Mancini. 
not sure if I really buy into that. I mean, if you look at England at the moment, you have just an incredibly exciting young generation. Like, there's not a ton of young English players playing in the Premier League every week. You know, they, they don't have it easier there. Uh, you're the only person around this table who says Mancini, and I'm sorry, the only, that's probably wrong. But I'm the only person around this table who says Lodge. So um, <laughs> it's true. It's Mancini, isn't it? So I, I, apologies. I, I tend to accept what you say, though, Lodge, <laughs> uh, about. Italy still being a a you know a disciplined threat in uh, world competition. In that, given that, would they have been a contender for the World Cup if they had made it through or not? I think there would still have been an acknowledgement that, based on the qualifying phase, that they had, that they have they have a certain bluntness up front uh, that that could cost them, uh, but. But you say that, but having said that, we saw in the Euros how they managed to get through to the final and win the thing, mm-hmm. despite not quite having the threat up front that they perhaps needed. And that point is exactly your party political broadcast for the Mancini party. <laughs> <laughs> because you're quite rightly pointing out you cannot throw the baby out with the bathwater. As last said before, very, very small sample size even if it's something that feels like the end of the footballing world for Italians now, they are still European champions. They have still given the people, the football following people of their country, a lot of joy in in the last little while. And the fact is Mancini has changed everything positively. I think the noise is coming out. I can't think of any other situation really. Well, it's difficult to think of a situation where a team wins a European championship in between not qualifying for two World Cups. But like I said, the feeling compared to 2018 when Ventura was clinging on despite everyone was telling him, mate, you've got to go. You know, the the will from the FIGC is not for Mancini to go. The will of Mancini is not to go. You know, he's not a guy who's waiting for another club job. Italy is his dream job. He's loving it. He's put his heart and soul into it. And really, there's no argument other than he is positively affected Italian football and he has lent in to the qualities of how football in Serie A has played for the last couple of years as well and that, that's what he's done very well but also that means as you were saying last maybe leaning into the weaknesses a little as well yeah yeah I'm sorry Don I just realised now I didn't answer your question at all the question you asked me earlier was you know is there a difference in, in not qualifying now compared to the last time uh, much like Italy's forward against Macedonia I sort of took a bunch of different shots and none of them exactly hit the target that you I mean <laughs> I said about three different things um, but um, but no there's a world of difference the world of difference is obviously back then the team was bad and, and the coach was a bit of an idiot I mean, Ventura's uh, the, the legacy is not a very positive one he was clearly the team was not good and the coach was not doing the right things mm. here you have a team who's very recently won the Euros and a coach who has a you know extensive back catalogue of good work in his career so you have reasons to be keep faith in him you you have a good team who just doesn't have a lot of good finishers in front of goal at the moment and uh, and who who came a cropper for that reason so last time i think there was a sense that or there was you could justifiably say that we need to sort of rethink what we're doing here i don't think that's necessarily the case you you just you need to find a striker somewhere and uh, and and another thing which i haven't heard mentioned in the sort of extensive port postmortems just if if Gigi Donnarumma had gone to a not a club where there wasn't already a really good goalkeeper, so that he was actually playing every week and his situation was more settled, 
Maybe he would have, you know, conceded that sort of rogue shot from uh, Tchaikovsky and maybe he would have saved. I mean, Donnarumma's had a bit of a weird one. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. He, he looked really ropey in the Turkey game as yeah, well. If, you know, he nearly gave away a couple of goals in that. He doesn't seem that sharp. No. And it's not like the goal against Macedonia wasn't like a goalkeeping mistake, but... It was you a goalkeeper know, might have done better at the it's top. It's one of, his of game. the best goalkeepers in the world. You'd yeah. expect to probably get to it. And Donnarumma at his best, you'd expect to probably but get to it. Although he hasn't been at his best for PSG either, has he? No, well, I, I think so, he's so, looks so, not very sharp for PSG. So, certainly in a, not in his not in their exit from the from the Champions League, mm. although Pochettino was very, very keen to defend him in, in, in the aftermath of that. No, I don't think it's a particularly healthy situation for, for Navas, who was Good for Costa Rica this week mm. while they were getting in their their, their World Cup playoff. Um, or for Navas gets, gets kicked out of Real Madrid because they're signing Courtois, even though that he was perfectly fine. And then he's effectively kind of being forced out of PSG because they want Donnarumma, even though he's perfectly fine. You just he needs better press, does he? Than Navas. I mean, well, I don't know what's going on there. Well, Pochettino never really wanted Donnarumma. No, you know, Navas was a, not not just a great goalkeeper for him. Of course, they extended his contract as, as recently as. April last year, like less than a year ago. And then they went and signed Donnarumma straight afterwards. I mean, this we're leaning back into PSG and questionable planning now, I, I think. But, you know, Navas is someone who's thought of as a great dressing room leader as well. And him being in a situation where he wasn't a definite pick really affected Pochettino's ability to, to govern the dressing room, though we digress a little there. So, on both counts, it's Hale Mancini for another tenure. I, 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 th- I think so. The, the, I mean, the instant reaction was much more of a, a fear that he might leave uh, for, from the Italian FA side. He's, he's, he's had fits of peak before, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, and if he were to step down, I mean, the first uh, piece I saw in one of the Italian papers, like the names they were throwing up, was like, well, if he leaves, it's like it's Gattuso or Cannavaro or Disarbi <laughs> or something. Which uh, Disarbi would be funny, but yeah. it's not like it's... And you just know. to clarify, that wasn't a raspberry from Andy there. No. It was a sigh. Which, all of this leads us very neatly to the question from Jack. And you can contact us at any time during the course of the week at Football Ramble, at Andy Brassel, at Lars Severston, or at Dotton Adibio. This one from Jack. I know a few teams still have to qualify, but who, in your opinions, gentlemen, are the dark horses for the World Cup? Mm-hmm. For the winning of the World Cup? Do you know, you know what? I think you can make an argument that there are a few dark horses because it doesn't appear that there's an ultra favourite for this one. Um, if if I had to hammer the favourites tag to anyone, it would be France because I think they've sorted out a lot of the issues that dogged them during Euro 2020. But in terms of dark horses, I, you see, I, I guess you're meant to say someone like Portugal in this spot I I don't believe they can, they can win it with uh, their current coach now Fernando Santos was quite sort of um, I, I guess sort of puff chested mm. that he got it over the line because he'd seen um, a lot of criticism off the, the back of them not qualifying automatically um, but they, they did regroup well enough to, 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 to get through it I, I think they were 
played quite a favourable hand in the fact that they didn't have to play Italy in the in, in the final as everyone expected they, they would have to and I think Portugal would have been second favourites for that um, but as, as time goes by there does seem a, a greater and greater disconnect between the tactics that made Fernando Santos um, successful in the first place in winning Euro 2016 and the players they have available now they have a lot more flair players now. And the fact is, he can sit there and say, well, as he said on TV that um, um, in Portugal, the day after they, they they lost to Serbia and didn't qualify automatically, he said, look, the, the minute we don't reach um, a target, I'll quit. People won't need to ask me to go. I will go of my own volition, but I haven't not hit any of the targets yet. But you think, hang on, <laughs> since they've won, what are those targets? Yeah. Because since they've, since they've won the Euros, with better players, they've gone out of the last 16 of the next two tournaments. Now, I know people will say the Nations League in between. I refer you to Lars's small sample size <laughs> and accentuate it um, but because I, I think that's maybe can be said to be a, a little bit anomalous, particularly as they're, they're, they're at home. Um, I think there are too many issues to sort out to make Portugal a genuine contender. So I'm struggling a little bit for a dark horse to be, to be perfect. Well honest. on the question of dark horse like how dark do they have to be in terms of how far do they have to be out in the They can be blonde haired blue eyed dark Because it's what I mean. you, you, you can't like answer <laughs> if you answer Germany you sound ridiculous but they are something like I think that's fair. I, th- I think that's, that's they're fair. They're something like fifth favourite or something whereas I that's think it, they maybe should be shorter than that. I, th- I think fifth favourite is quite is it flattering. Yeah. I, I think fifth fa- favourite is quite flattering to them. Mm. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't put them in my top five. Mm. Well, I, th- I think there's a quite... A, a, it's shaping up to be a fun World Cup, certainly in the sense uh, it's very hard to predict because I think you have a group of six, seven nations who you wouldn't be very surprised. I mean, Brazil, France, England, Spain, Germany, Argentina, possibly in that bunch. If any of those win it that wouldn't be a surprise. Mm. So then you're looking at sort of the slightly further outs, Belgium, Portugal, the Dutch, Denmark. Mm. Uh, I don't know, like out of those, I always struggle with the dark horse thing because I don't know how much of an outsider you need to be to qualify. Maybe that's well, a linguistic thing that I uh, can't well, get. No, I think you're right. I think you're 100% right. But, but if we go back to what Andy said, that this is a very open World Cup mm. or o- more open than normal, there isn't an obvious favourite there. And we'd have to struggle to even include France in that as a favourite. Uh, but if we if we go back to that, then this is possibly one of those World Cups where almost every team is a potential dark horse. You know, if, for example, you mentioned Spain, who would expect Spain to win it this year? However, they could do it. Yeah, they, 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 they could. And again, it's very hard to judge on friendlies, but their two games against... Out as uh, a stubborn Albania and a thoroughly rubbish Iceland, which is <laughs> why it's kind of hard to mm-hmm. sort of make, I guess, a reasoned judgment on that. You saw the depth they've got is actually is actually pretty decent there, mm. and I, I, I thought they were really impressive in both of those games. It's clear there's a philosophy, a plan. It's clear that there are improvements on that side that got to the semi-finals and should should have got in the final of the Euro. Uh, look, Italy were worthy winners and th- like what's happened in the last week hasn't changed my mind on that. I thought it was good for football as as, as well, the the way that they won the tournament. But they were they were outplayed by Spain in the semi. Spain were absolutely terrific. Spain also oscillated wildly during the course of the Euros. Then you go forward to the World Cup qualifiers 
and they get through without the need for a playoff, but right at the end against Sweden mm. in, in in that return game, having lost the away game in, in Stockholm. So there are still a few holes there, even if it does feel that Luis Enrique is absolutely the right person to be leading them forward and there's so much to there's so much to like about them there's a lot to like is the is the key phrase here and especially if you look like the, the, the midfield with with either Rodri who's really sort of grown into that anchor role at City or yeah. or Busquets is actually looking decent again from Barcelona great in the Euros I yeah, Busquets yeah. looking decent again with sort of you can go for Pedri and Gavi either side but if you want to maybe drop one of the children you could there's a lot of interesting options whether you go you know, have the energy of Llorente or whatever you want to do like Spain are never short on good midfielders I mean, I guess with Spain, the issue is it's the classic. They're the anti-tournament team in the sense that there's a lot of good players there, but you don't tr- fully trust the defence <laughs> and you don't fully trust them in front of goal. Like, and, yeah. and, and that's like the opposite of what you want to be in a tournament. It's, it's funny, when, when we talked about consistency from the Euros and then maybe building on the Euros, having said they'd built on the Euros a little bit, the goal they conceded against Albania was exactly the sort of one that they would Nonsense. have conceded yeah, in, the, yeah, yeah. in the Euros, which yeah. was another one from their Uno Simon and Pau Torres' greatest hits. I'm not catalog. fully convinced that Pau Torres and Eric Garcia as a World Cup winning centre half pairing, to be honest. It's, it's an argument to be made, but, certainly. Uh, but I think it's interesting that we could sort of group Spain and Germany together because I think they're both heading in the right direction. But I don't believe either of them have got the defence that says winners. Interesting. I, I do, before we leave Spain, uh, um, I would like to sort of make my defence of Alvaro Morata, by the way, because he's still playing. <laughs> still annual defence. Well, it? Was, was, the cap, was the captain even against uh, against Albania. Mm-hmm. Um because the thing about Murata is people like to laugh at him uh, because he misses chances and looks a bit sad and a lot of big clubs have spent a lot of money on him and he's never come, maybe not been quite an elite striker but the point I always make is that he is someone who from a coach's perspective well me not being a coach but I can see how he can he solves a lot of issues for a coach because mm. he's a striker who is a lot of things right he's he works hard enough that you can absolutely have a sort of high pressing unit he'll put in the work he'll he'll lead the line and, and hassle the opponent so you can press with him he's f- mobile enough that you, he's not rapid but he's mobile enough that he's a threat in behind if you want to play balls in behind the defense he's physically strong enough that he can win some stuff in the air if you want to knock it long to him see he can do a a lot of things as a striker like in terms of when you're setting up your team tactically he solves a lot of problems for you but of course crucially for an elite striker maybe not steady enough in front of goal but this is a problem though isn't it because Morata is everything that Lars has said there and arguably uh, some of his best work is when he's providing almost like a sweeper from the halfway line providing something for another runner to go but if you want him as a centre forward, he's got to be scoring goals. You don't want him all over the place, do well, you? Well, what I would say the antidote to that is that if you have a striker who does everything you need a striker to do, but maybe doesn't score enough goals, you can find other players to score goals for you. Like yeah, There are a lot of goal-scoring wide players about. So if you, you can imagine them playing with Ferran Torres, who's increasingly playing almost in the sort of David Villa role for, for Barcelona these days, and is getting into the box a lot. If he's playing on one flank, maybe Dani Olmo plays on the other side. Dani Olmo's mm-hmm. got a shot on him. He can score goals. So I think for Spain... Throw Sarabia in there. Yeah, Sarabia has scored yep. a good couple of goals against the Iceland. So I think for Spain, I think it's easier for Spain to find 
uh, supporting actors up front who can pitch in with goals than it is uh, f- to find a striker who gives them the stuff Morata gives them, but also scores more goals. If you hundred percent agree with that, and uh, Ferran Torres, you look at his recent goal scoring record for Barcelona and Spain. There's, there's really no argument with it. The interesting thing is what. Luis Enrique and Pep Guardiola always agreed on when Ferran Torres was at Manchester City, his future is not as a wide player. It's as Mm. a centre forward and not as a false nine because of his height or anything like that, but a centre forward because he has a centre forward's instincts. Exactly. Which is, you know, almost uncoachable, really. I think Germany are interesting, though. Yeah, yeah. Because... The defence needs a lot of work. I think Nico Schlotterbeck coming in is a positive thing, and I do expect him to get a big move this summer, so before the World Cup. But his two games against Israel and the Netherlands, and of course the game against the Netherlands was the first one they hadn't won under Hansi Flick, and mm. you know, drawing Amsterdam is creditable. No one's, no one's saying it's not. But Schlotterbeck sort of changed between... At some points of those two games, looking absolutely imperious and other parts of it looking as if he wasn't really concentrating. I just wonder if Germany have the centre-back or actually, no, if Antonio Rudiger is the centre-back who can guide him through it. Well, the funny thing is, I guess, sorry, one of the prime options... If you're not going with him, would one of the other options is Jonathan Tarr, who has exactly the same problem. <laughs> Someone who looks great for eighty percent of the time, yeah. and then just switches off for no reason. Um, I, 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 I mean, we got to bear in mind, Schlotterbeck is only twenty-two and will mm. likely move to either Dortmund or Bayern this summer, uh, and will probably grow, possibly could grow with those tasks. Mm. I, th- I think it's. I think he looked. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. He did make that mistake against Con- Israel. Concentration is not obligatory in defence at Dortmund. Well, I've got to tell you that. <laughs> I mean, so maybe that would be a bad move for him <laughs> in, in, in that sense. But, but I feel like there are things that are falling into place for, for Germany in the sense that you have him and you also have uh, Musiala that he's playing more and more in midfield for Bayern, I think is interesting. Um, also, I just honestly, if we look back at the last couple of tournaments, we've always been talking about how Germany lacks something up front. I think Havertz is a solution to this. Uh, Havertz is the man. Uh, yeah. And the fact that he's playing more and more as a striker for for Chelsea is, is helpful in that regard. I'm such a fascinating, I'm such a Havertz um, uh, appreciator. <laughs> I'm a Havertz enjoyer. Because uh, <laughs> he's just, um, he's such a strange player with such an unusual skill set. I mean, when he was moving to um, the Premier League, uh, I described him to uh, someone as like if you put Mikhail Balak and Dimitar Bermatov in a blender I mean because <laughs> he has some of that sort of because he's a little bit lanky and has incredible close control and he has a sort of slightly relaxed body language sometimes then you get the Berbatov vibe but he was also very clever at timing his runs into the box mm. and he's uh, yeah like the both of them really good header of the ball but I, I think that 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 can solve something that has been an issue for them for for a long, long time. Germany. Yeah, I do love the way that Lars says Mikel Balak. Next, he'll be telling us it's Michelangelo instead of Michelangelo. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's a good job that we've got the world's expert on Zlatan here in the studio. Why are you smiling? Well, don't it's look at me. You. I know. I wasn't looking at you. Well, actually, I was looking at yeah, you, you were, but you I were. was smiling at you. It's a good job that we've got the world's expert on Zlatan here because you're he's about right, to get his P45, isn't you're he? You're talking me up a little bit here <laughs> You're now. about to get your P45 because Zlatan, I mean, it's the end of the road in terms of uh, international football for him. Well, I thought with Sweden not qualifying. I, I don't think so. Uh, he certainly said... And I think this is interesting, the way he phrased this. And it's a sign of something that uh, I know Andy's spoken a lot about before, about how he is a changed figure these days. And I don't think a lot of people have caught on to that. He, he said that as long as I'm like physically able and can contribute in some way, I'd, I'd like to do that. Uh, which is an interesting phrasing, because you can imagine the, the, the Ibra of, of 10 years ago putting it slightly differently. You know, he, the, he, I, I think he has become a more mature figure. Um, even just the fact that as as Sweden went out to to Poland in in the in this game, uh, this uh, this week he only came on was the eighty third minute, uh, something like that. <laughs> That's a lot of time on the pitch, uh, mate, yeah, for, yeah, for yeah, an old yeah. man. No, he ca- yeah, but this is the came thing. on, not off. Uh, uh, I know. Yeah. Seventy ninth, seventy ninth. So it was, was basically eighty minutes on the pitch. Yeah. Eighty minutes on the pitch. Oh my ten god! Minutes on the pitch. Eighty minutes on the bench. Yeah. He only came on for the last ten minutes, and I think the Ebra of maybe five, six, seven years ago would have maybe had something to say about that afterwards. Mm. I think so. um, mm. uh, but, but he hasn't, and he's he is a much more mature character this time. He's also forty, and uh, to what extent he can contribute in a sporting sense, we'll have to wait and see. But he's someone who is. Uh, he is. Uh, I think he's at the stage where he realizes it's not. He's not got a lot left, and he is very keen to get as many minutes of, of top level football that he might have left in his body out of him. And I think he he seems prepared to leave a lot of the bravado on the sort of WWE style nonsense aside to to achieve that. I still think Paris changed him in terms of him moving to be a mentor. It sort of pushed him in that direction. I mean, of course, he had extensive discussions with Nasser Al-Khalifi there about becoming sporting director 
at some point mm. in the future. They've had worse since, I think it's fair to say. But that idea of him taking on this more pastoral role, I don't think people really get that, as Lars was saying, because he still plays the character of Zlatan. And I think plays the character is the important way of putting it there. The other important verb that Lars used is contribute. Because now he doesn't feel contributing has to be doing everything, putting it all on his back. He feels that if he can be a sounding board for the players, if you know, he's he's a more altruistic Zlatan. And again, people don't want to believe that because it doesn't fit with the image. The image that he quite keenly cultivates, of course, because it's a brand. But I think that's why you can imagine him going on if he's still playing. Now, of course, there's been increased speculation in recent days. What if, you know, Milan, and it could be a big weekend for them, as we'll come to in a, a little bit, um, if if they were to close out the title, would that mean it's a reasonable end point with Milan? I, I think it probably would be. There's some speculation in Sweden that maybe he ends up at Hammerby. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Don't worry. There we go. He's Look, I was, I, I, was, I, was I was lining it up for you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Look, <laughs> you try and keep a shareholder out of the 11, <laughs> no, no matter how old he is. Indeed. But I, I think, you know, that there is a sense that contributing means something else rather than being a superhero. And, you know, I think the fact, Lars, that he has endorse the next wave of Swedish talent. Uh, Dejan Kulusevski, mm. for example, he's been great for Spurs so far. And, you know, the move has really benefited him, hasn't it, away from Juventus. Yeah. I, I think the fact that he's Zlatan championed is uh, is quite significant as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. That was something, I mean, he had almost a sort of a dispute, Ibrahimovic, a couple of years back with the current national team boss because he felt Kulusevsky wasn't getting the minutes that he deserved. But, but, but and, and I think that it kind of fed into his ongoing uh, complaint, which which I think is I'm glad he's making because he's, he's definitely right that uh, that uh, people with, uh, should we say, different sounding last names uh, aren't always given the treatment uh, that other people in Sweden are, put it that way. And he's talked about that a lot, hasn't he? He has, yeah. because it's obviously something he's experienced in, in a very personal way. If you follow, like, if you follow Ibrahimovic's Twitter account or something, there's still a lot of this sort of "I am the lion" nonsense. But, but, but I think that is, like you say, that is branding and something that's uh, sort of high hyper exaggerated. Whereas he seems like a very different character. And the paradox with Sweden going out is that they actually play quite well in this game. They had the chances they, to win they, it. They, didn't they were not very yeah. good at all against the Czech Republic. And there was, there was an editorial uh, by one of the most sort of read sort of football writery men in, in Sweden after the Czech Republic game with the headline, there's, there's, an, there's an uncomfortable thing we have to talk about. And the gist of the article was like, we're, we're not actually very good. Because <laughs> obviously after the Czech Republic game, everyone was just euphoric about the fact that they'd, they'd, uh, they'd gone through. But against Poland, they played better, but they ended up going out. And I think the new generation is a, is a factor here. Quite a lot of people have, have left uh, the scene. You know, Andreas Granqvist, the very old uh, defender, was an you know, important character in the team. You know, Michael Lustig's not, not there anymore. Like Sebastian Larsson is finally sort of, <laughs> is not picked anymore. So there's been a sort of a bit of a changing of the guard. And it feels like the new team just hasn't really settled yet. Uh, and may maybe there's an argument that sort of 
Ibra leaving could sort of facilitate this in some way, but I actually I, th- I think he's a useful presence to have around if I he's hundred percent. Uh, as long right. as he's realistic about how much he can play and what he, he can actually do, then I think that's that's a positive. Do remember that you can get in touch at any time during the course of the week. You can tweet us at Football Ramble, at Dotton, at Ibayo, at Andy Brassel, and at Lars Severston. We have got a question from Nathan here. What's the panel's opinion on how Gareth Bale has been treated by the Spanish press? Do you think it's unfair or do you think they have a point? Now, you might want to remind us... um, some unsavoury language was used by the Spanish press about Gareth Bale uh, not not playing for Real Madrid whilst he's going off to play for Wales and doing pretty well. Yeah, there was one very colourful piece in one of the papers that sort of described him as a parasite and not just in a sort of throwaway line, but it went a little bit into detail about him uh, portraying him as a parasite that was sort of sucking the blood out of Real Madrid and this sort of thing, which is obviously uh, completely beyond the pale, I think. Uh, whatever the writer yeah. in question was going for, it, it's just not an acceptable way to talk about other human beings, I don't think. It's not very good. And, and there has been a general sort of hostility towards him from the media that, that again goes beyond what I think is is reasonable and rational sports coverage. Well, can and, and you see why though? Can you see where it's coming from? Well, so that's I think the on the continent angle for this I, I think is when you only watch Gareth Bale play for Wales and you only read about Gareth Bale in the English press, you might just think overwhelmingly like this guy is great and, 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 and how stupid Real Madrid are for not starting him in every single game and you know why are they so unhappy? He's he's very good. On the other side of it, if you're in Spain, you're a Real Madrid fan. You watch him play for Wales, and even to an extent, you watched him play for Tottenham, and you thought, "Why? Why is he not playing like this for us? Like ever? Uh, because he hasn't been very good. Like he's been." He's not. I mean, he's, he's he's not getting picked. His agent, Jonathan Burnett, has made the point that if they had started him more often and did uh, did more to integrate him into the team, he would have been better. But he has actually played quite a bit the last few years, and he hasn't been very good. And it's become a joke the sort of banner he held up about yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, the Wales golf and Real Madrid sort of in in that order. Um, but it does seem as if he's. Uh, just not really arsed with playing for his club. Like it, he, he always manages to get himself fit for for the Wales games, uh, but again, is often not available for for Real Madrid. And when he plays, he has been quite underwhelming. And I think if you're a Real Madrid fan and you're looking at this guy and you're aware that he's being paid something like six hundred grand a week or some crazy well, sum, this is the this is the root of a lot. You got to be a little bit frustrated with that situation. I think you're without obviously going as far as some people in the press have, because that's just embarrassing. But this is there is criticism of, to be made, I think. Yeah, this is the root of a lot of the criticism, Andy. And I remember last week on this very uh, On The Continent podcast, you saying, well, and you weren't talking specifically about Gareth Bale. In fact, you were talking about players from PSG saying, well, mm-hmm. if you're on half a million euro a week, uh, it's not your fault that you're on half a million. That's a contract that was signed. Why would you take an option to leave the club or go elsewhere? Yeah, exactly. I mean, basically, he is the lightning rod for their frustration and regret at signing that. And you have to say that anger in Spain is coming more from the media than it is from the supporters. And I would like to think when we get 10 years further down the line, Real Madrid supporters will remember the stuff that Gareth Bale won there, which is you know unprecedented success 
for a for a British footballer in a continental European club context. It's absolutely phenomenal. You look at um, the Copa del Rey final winner, you look at the goals in the Champions League finals, all of those things are magical moments which do not deserve to be erased, which can't mm. be erased. Um, but basic, basically, the club dropped the ball in backing up the Brinks truck for him. And now they've been taking it out on him ever since. Um, the there's club, been the club. Do they have a role to play in this taking it out on him? Yeah, because um, I think we all know which journals I'm talking about. There, there are certain Madrid newspapers which are there as semi-official mouth, mouthpieces of the club, and if if they are creating a hostile environments, try and make him go, which they have been for a long time. It's not necessarily about whether the criticism is well-founded. They've been trying to wriggle out of this contract for a, a, a very long time. And, and that's, the, that's the main issue here. Has Bale always helped himself? No, I, I don't think he has. But, I mean, let's not talk a, a, about like, it as being like the, the relationship between Bale and Real Madrid is irretrievably broken down over this international window. <laughs> irretrievably broke down absolutely ages ago. And... Since then, for the last, what, two, two and a half years, they've both been marking time till the end of this agreement. To to me, it seems strange that almost as a parting shot, the Madrid media would bring it up all over again. It's like, yeah, we know you're pissed off with him. We know you think he's given you short change for what he's been paid over the last three and a half to four years. But we also know he's going now. We know it's over. So... Uh, why don't we just call it quits? But, but I guess to what my point would be, to what extent should Bale be given almost a free pass for not really making an effort to pay for to play for the club that's actually paying him? I mean, that, that, that's the thing that seems a bit strange. Uh, the, the, because, again, I, I can easily imagine if we had a, a big-name foreign player in this league in England uh, who played very well and with great enthusiasm for his national team and was always fit when the international weeks came around and for his club that's actually paying him to play football he was often injured and when he was on the pitch he was kind of going through the motions and seemed more keen to pursue his hobbies on that time off it's it's, it's harder to give it everything though if you've known the club are doing everything they can to get rid of you for years and not just a month or a season but years, you know, that they've made their position quite clear. I think that has made him more defiant. And I don't think anyone really comes out of this with any enormous credit. I'm just looking forward to it all being over and hopefully him playing well for another club next season. Yeah, I was thinking about this week and thinking about like all the places he could go. There's a lot of really interesting options, like whatever his ambitions are. Mm. Um, he, he's famously, you know, very... Um, He's, what's the English phrase for this? He, he's very fond of his home. He likes, he like, obviously likes Wales, but also he goes home to visit his family a lot. Mm. And you know, he, uh, so what you're saying, he's going to end up playing for Cardiff. Well, or that's Swansea. an option. It's something you could do. He's clearly someone who doesn't need to make money again ever, so he could go and play for Cardiff or whatever for whatever. That. Well, he could do that, that if he wants to. Yeah, you know, he could go to Tottenham. I'm sure they'd, they'd have him. He's very popular there still. Um, Newcastle United it could be a happy medium between, uh, you know, a, a club that has some sporting ambition 
situation and can still pay him a, a reasonable salary or a salary that's uh, unusually high, which is something he's really used to. Realistically, you, he could go. He could go to MLS. Like he loves. He loves his golf. The MLS season, as as Neymar said recently, the MLS season is. I look shorter. forward to him playing a, playing for a mid-table Portuguese club. Well, I mean, no, but honestly, like he's a, for a, as a big golf fan. If he moves to MLS, the season is a little bit shorter than other places. PSG. He could, he could live in a very temperate place in America. Not. No. Can't see PSG. No, I don't think he can stay fit enough for that. And also, they're trying to move away from the superstars route. Like as we said last week, good luck with that. Okay, last week, Andy, you got a free pass in terms of games of the week because it was a World Cup qualifiers uh, week. But this week, you're not getting any free pass, <laughs> and I do want a food pairing with it as well. What's the game to look out for this week? I think Serie A is the place to watch this weekend. Um, You've got two really big ones on Sunday. You've got Atalanta versus Napoli in the afternoon. And then you've got Inter versus Juventus in the evening. Now, it's got to be the Derby d'Italia. It has to be Inter versus Juventus. It's huge anyway. The fact that Inter have only had one win in the last six in the league and not fallen off the pace, but fallen off the top and they're no longer in totally in control of their own destiny in terms of the title. Um... Juventus have come back at them a little bit and so they need to go for it as well. They both desperately need the win. And I think with, okay, Atalanta have not been the greatest over the last two months, but I think it's still a very difficult game for Napoli. The big winners this weekend could be Milan, who play at the San Siro against Bologna on Monday night. So... You know that basically Milan will be hoping it's to have that have have their feet up on Sunday, bit of a light training and a cool down, and then watch the others take points off each other <laughs> so they can increase their their lead at the top. And I think there's a genuine chance of of them being able to do that. They'll hope Atalanta do them a little favour as well. So Inter versus Juve is the one. Inter really have to go for it and they need to be... Well, I read one of the Italian papers saying this this week how they really need their midfield to show up. They need the real Barella. They need the real Hakan Chalunolu, who, of course, with the retirement of Burak Yilmaz, is now captain of, of, of Turkey. So he's kind of going up a level in, in, in terms of responsibility as well. That is the one. And as there is so much fantastic Italian football, my advice to you... Pizza is, or pasta? No, bake an absolutely huge lasagna. Oh. it's you can get pasta. You can get... Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, but it's a very specific sort of pasta. True, true. Because you can get two portions out of it on the Sunday, mm-hmm. and it will still taste good when you're settling down for Milan-Bologna with maybe a little bit of bolognese in there <laughs> on the Monday night. I like the way you did that. Uh, w- w- what ingredient would you put in the lasagna? It's really important because I, I go for red kidney beans instead of meat. What do you go for? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I, I, th- I think you have to go for a good beef ragu inside to, like I said, play up the bolognese angle. So I'd have to eat it by myself. Uh, they've all gone veggie on me. That'd be a first, right? <laughs> no, no, not at all. And Lash, uh, yeah. something to go with the loot fisk. 
<laughs> Lutefisk. Well, I mean, funny you should mention that. The Norwegian League does kick off this uh, this weekend. So, I mean, uh, <laughs> that could... No, let's let's not do that. Um, well, it's it's on the continent. Tempted, yeah. You know, but, but no, listen, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to head to Germany. I still haven't fully given up the idea of there being a title race. I know most other people have given up. Uh, looking at the bookmakers, they've certainly given up the idea of that. But, you know what, Dortmund are just six points behind. Bayern do drop points now and again. They're going to be focused on the Champions League. You know, they have a, if maybe they get an injury or something. You know, I haven't fully given up. But Dortmund uh, play RB Leipzig this weekend. And RB Leipzig, uh, you'll be delighted to know, have actually had... They're actually the team with the best record in the Bundesliga since the turn of the year, uh, since the 1st of January. They've actually they, they, they've got 23 points, same as Dortmund, but they've got a better goal difference. Hats so. off to Dominic the German, eh? Yeah, Dominic the German has done very well after taking over for, for Jesse Marsh so uh, shaping up obviously to you know probably rescue the Champions League spot and look like a team that could perhaps feasibly challenge uh, Bayern next season unless they lose half their team in the transfer window again uh, so, so watching uh, Dortmund uh, try to take those of them on the two best teams in Germany since the turn of the year uh, I think could be very interesting so you you have to tell us because Erling Haaland's obviously injured for this when you and Erling are watching it together, <laughs> what will you be cooking in? Mean, I don't think, I'm not sure he is injured. So this has been confusing uh, messages Ooh. about this. Uh, the Norwegian, from the Norwegian national team, they basically said, no, it's all fine. You know, he's he, he'll be okay. But uh, Marco Rosa then said he's not okay and we'll have to see. He said his foot's bent. Well, Mate, yes, that, maybe that's just what his. Yeah. So, 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 what's actually true with the Holland injury situation? We, we don't really know yet. So that's another yeah. uh, excitement. But no, it should be a fun game. But what are you going to eat with it? Oh, a sausage. Just get a sausage. Get some. <laughs> get a sausage. Some vice bears. You're some not nice even making an effort for Erling. A bratwurst. <laughs> Come on. Oh, no. I think he likes a sausage. <laughs> Football Ramble Presents is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.